It's time for the April 1st, 2022 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review. A personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting on Walk to Work Day here at the University of California at Irvine in the backyard of KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And as always, cat lover, <laughs> extraordinaire, <laughs> Mahler, the fake news dog. <laughs> April Fool's Mahler. <laughs> Just kidding about the cats. Oh, yeah. Today, we'll be talking about Warhol's Prince series, Coons on the Moon, Mushroom Leather, the most distant single star ever seen, cryovolcanism, the rapture, and then some. But first. Yes. In spite of the climate crisis, mm -hmm. the war in Ukraine, and a federal judge finding that Trump probably committed crimes over the 2020 election, mm -hmm. a new public priorities poll found that 83% of U.S. residents over the age 24 can't find anything better to talk about than an actor slapping a comedian on an entertainment award show. Yeah. Yeah. Not here. Not we got here. better stuff to talk a about. A lot better stuff to talk about. Like, for example, what's your favorite kind of music, Mike? Oh, my God. Yeah. That is a, that's an impossible question for me to answer, Nathan. Oh, I feel okay. the same way, but... All right. Uh, but just would... in terms of the spectrum of music in yeah. a particular genre... I have to go with jazz. Really? Yeah. Very good for you. Yeah. I mean, in terms of we're from one end to the other, if there is such a thing, you could qualify it that way. Yeah. Jazz has everything beat, Yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Well, it tends to incorporate a lot. Yes. That's for sure. Yes. And it, it has a, a great root. Yeah. Yeah. It is American music. From NOLA News, mm -hmm. you know what NOLA is, right? New Orleans? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The Orleans Parish School Board in New Orleans reversed a policy banning jazz music. Oh, my God. They, they had been banning jazz music now for the last hundred years. And they're, they're going to ban this a hundred years after it was passed, or they did ban it. This ban what? on jazz. So cancel culture has been <laughs> defeated once again. <laughs> the rule had been mostly forgotten until... While digging through University of New Orleans archives for research on a dissertation that would eventually become a book entitled Chord Changes on Chalkboard, How Public School Teachers Shape Jazz and the Music of New Orleans, oh. author Al Kennedy found traces of a school system-wide ban on jazz dancing and music that passed no problem. Wow. They just passed that in New Orleans. The long-overlooked policy came to the board's attention after a school board member read Kennedy's book. Okay. According to the archives, during a school board meeting on March 24, 1922, mm -hmm. Mrs. Adolph, uh-oh, what's that <laughs> name? Oh, Mrs. Adolph Baumgartner said, jazz music and jazz dancing in school should be stopped at once. Yes. I have seen a lot of rough dancing in school auditoriums lately. Yeah. Rough dancing. You ain't seen nothing yet, <laughs> Mrs. Adolph. Now, yeah. am I reading too much into this? This is kind of this kind of correlates with the rise of Louis Armstrong. Oh yeah, and the, yeah. And the African American component of the yeah. history of jazz, right? Is yeah. That, am I right? Yeah. So uh, it came to pass yeah. that. Uh, 
Yeah. Apparently, on March 24, 1922, jazz was banned by the school board in the birthplace of jazz. There you go. Yeah. But it didn't work out so well for him. <laughs> jazz greats who have attended New Orleans public schools include Louis Armstrong, Jelly Roll Morton, King Oliver, King Kid Ori, Wynton Marsalis, yeah. Trombone Shorty. Trombone Shorty. Just to name a few. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. I love Mr. Trombone yeah. Shorty. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there you go. There you go. Wow. Yeah. Wow. No speculating there. No, there's no speculating. That's real hard news right there. <laughs> I, I hope, hope that came out. For Here's us. another hard news story for you, yeah. Mike. What do you think of Andy or Warhol? I love Andy Warhol. You love Andy I Warhol? I love him for all of the, the good and bad. I love, I, I, he's one of my favorite personalities, figures of the 20th century. Yes. Really? Easily. Why is that? I, mean, I just find him to be... Uh, contradictory, fascinating, brilliant, insipid. Uh, he would, he, he, he. I, I don't know. There's so many things I, I like about him. I just do. I, I, I think he was playing a joke on us in some ways with his art, some of it. But on the other side of it, I think it's brilliant and it's insightful. So, yeah. do, I don't. What you? I. What do you think? Oh, I like. I liked him. Okay. Yeah, you know, I thought it was some of the stuff was kind of vacant, but yeah. I think he knew that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, his his uh, commercial work uh, before he even started doing the uh, whatever you want to call it, Andy art. Andy art. Yeah, it was it was. I like it. It was good, strong commercial work. It's mm -hmm. not like he wasn't talented right. and just started throwing stuff together, photographs and whatnot. Yeah, and I also like the people he gathered around him. I mean, there were some very um, flawed individuals. They who, were kooky. Yeah, they were. But I just like the energy. I like so much of that. Velvet scene. Underground. New, yeah, one yeah. of my my favorite Edie bands. Sedgwick. So much. There was so much energy there that how can I just have a hard time uh, not thinking he's one of the more important and influential artists. From the New Republic. Yeah. The Supreme Court is taking up a case that may define the meaning of art. The case, Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts versus Goldsmith centers around a dispute over whether Warhol violated a photograph's copyright when he created one of his portraits. You know those portraits. No, he used to keep them. They always appeared on the Interview Magazine's cover. It seemed like uh, just about every, not everyone, but nearly every portrait appeared on that cover. Revolving the case, resolving the case will require answering questions like, where does copyright end and First Amendment begin? And the First Amendment began. And when is a work of art simply derivative? And when it uh, when is it truly transformative? Wow. So we're going to let this Supreme Court yes. decide what art is. Yeah. Wow. Here's how it started, this case. Wow. Lynn Goldsmith, a photographer, ran a successful photo agency in the 1970s that specialized in musicians and album covers. In 1984, her agency licensed one of her own photographs of Prince to Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair passed along the photograph to Andy Warhol, who used his silk screening process to create a new version of the original image. Vanity Fair then used that version in one of its print issues and credited it to Goldsmith and her agency. Warhol also created more than a dozen other new works from the original photograph of Goldsmith, which became known as the Prince series. Okay. Goldsmith claimed that she was unaware that Warhol had worked on the Vanity Fair image because she just handed in a photograph and got to work on other things. Mm -hmm. uh, and that he, 
Warhol had created further works with it. So yeah. Goldsmith didn't know anything about that. Yeah. After Prince's death, Vanity Fair reproduced one of the Warhol versions that drew it the attention of Goldsmith and her agency to Warhol's Prince series for the first time. This is according to her. They contacted the Warhol Foundation, her agency, and threatened legal action. In response, the Warhol Foundation sued Goldsmith in federal court to obtain the ruling that it hadn't violated any copyright laws. The foundation argued that Warhol's use of the photographs fell under the category of fair use and that Warhol's version was transformative, meaning that he took the original artwork and transformed its appearance or nature to such a high degree that the use no longer qualifies as infringing. It transformed it. Goldsmith, in response, argued that the image's essence came from her photographic work, not from Warhol's alterations of it. The court ruled in favor of the Warhol Foundation at first. Mm -hmm. Then, in November 2019, a three-judge panel overruled the decision and sided with Goldsmith, ruling that Goldsmith's photograph remains the recognizable foundation upon which the Prince series is built. And that's where we are today. Wow. The Supreme Court, if it rules, if it upholds that ruling, it could have significant implications for works of art that draw upon copyrighted works all across the board. Yeah. You know, not just in painting or silk screening, but just everything that you do. It would be a significant impact on that. That, in turn, would have First Amendment implications for free speech and expression. The foundation warns, the Warhol Foundation, warns that the current ruling would threaten to strip protection from thousands of storied works of art and to chill expressive activity and artistic creation. This case will be decided by the Supreme Court this fall. Wow. With this composition of this Supreme Court. Yeah. By the way, can I just really quick, I just Uh, want to say, Yeah. um, I can't say, let me start over. I love the electric chair series yeah. that Warhol did. I think I that s- might have been the first one I saw at uh, at LACMA. Okay. Way back when. You yeah. Know. Yeah. When people think of Warhol as frivolous, I, I just that's that's one that really really landed with me when I saw that the yeah. series of them. Yeah. Yeah. Just for some whatever. That's all you want to say? That's it. That's what I'm saying. Huh. Yeah. I'm not speculating. I'm. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to think, you know, what, it was just the the uh, the bulk of his work, mm-hmm. the relentlessness of it, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. relentlessness of his insipidness <laughs> finally, you know, just kind of overwhelmed you. Yeah. 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 What do you think, Mahler? You, you like him? Or what do you, what do you got to think about <laughs> Warhol? Yeah? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I don't think he did any dogs. No, I don't think the no, dog he, art. He liked what he did with Basquiat. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, those were crazy wins. Those were crazy things. <laughs> Man, from The Verge. Later this year, American artist Jeff Koons. Now, I don't like Koons. Would be displaying some of his latest sculptures on the surface of the moon. Oh my God. That's where he's going with his art. Yeah. I wish he'd take it a little bit further out than the moon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whoa, yeah, Mama. 
Coons is best known for his popular sculptures of balloon animals created out of stainless steel. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're they're fine, but they're just they're more like things that you want to see in a shopping mall, yeah. not in a museum. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm with you. I'm with you on this. Little one. Yeah. entertainments. Yeah. It's kitschy trash is yeah. what it yeah. is. Yeah. Kuhn's new sculptures are scheduled to land on the moon in a robotic lunar lander made by Houston-based company in Intuitive Machines. Their tall cylindrical Nova Sea spacecraft will carry five scientific payloads for NASA and some commercial payloads, including Kuhn's mini-sculptures, which will be encased in a transparent, thermally-coated cube that measures six inches on all sides. So these are tiny little things. Okay. Jesus. The tiny sculptures will be the first authorized works of art to reach the lunar surface. Only work if in, they only work if intuitive machines can get to the moon first. In other words, mm -hmm. we don't know because mm -hmm. there is another competing space company, Astrobotic, also partnered with NASA. They're sent to, set to send art to the moon by Dubai-based artist Sasha Joffrey. Joffrey is known for creating the world's largest painting on canvas, as recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records, was, yeah. which is always a great measure of art. You know, <laughs> if I want to know what good art is, I always go to the Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> the work was sold at auction for $62 million. Of course it was. The fourth highest auction price ever paid for a work of art by a living artist. And guess who got the number one? That would be Jeff Koons for his rabbit, which is just a balloon rabbit. I know. $91 million. David Hockney's portrait of an artist places second. Pool with two figures, $90 million. I like uh, Hockney. Yeah. He's, he's good with color. He just has a great sense of, of uh, kind of primitive, modern. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. See and Beeple's Every Day's. The first 5,000 days, which is an NFT that sold for $69.3 million. Oh it's all these just little digital uh, photographs and whatnot. Digital very, images. Very small, yeah. it, they look like mosaics, yeah. but it's still crap. $69.3 million for an NFT of that. There's already unauthorized work, art on the moon. So this won't be the first art on the moon. What is the unauthorized? <laughs> Uh, one is Fallen Astronaut, an aluminum sculpture made by Paul Van Hodunk, who was left on the moon during Apollo 15 to honor those who d had died in the pursuit of space exploration. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know why that's unauthorized. I think they just made up some yeah. authorization code just to get our attention here. Wow. There's also speculation that a small ceramic wafer called Moon Museum filled with artistic work from Andy Warhol and other artists, was smuggled onto Apollo 12's lunar lander. Yeah. So if you're dying to see Coons on the moon... I in, am, actually. Yeah. I would love to see that. Intuitive Machines plans to include a camera on top of its lander. So somehow... They'll oh, probably wait, have oh, you private mean... showings and charge people to... Uh, yes. Yeah, good yeah. God. But you didn't mean... Coons would actually be on the moon. Well, that, that was... <laughs> that's that, what I was... I like that. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kuhn's mini sculptures are part of Moon Phases, oh, which is Kuhn's first NFT collection. So he's doing the non fungibles <clears> too. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't blame you. There, there uh, was a documentary that came out last year, a couple of years ago, called The Price of Everything, and it was about art, the art world, uh-huh. and how art has become part of any billionaire's portfolio, and yeah. how they trade art now, and they stick it in these... these uh, yeah, these they don't care about free, it anyway. Free yeah. port. Uh, in airports, there's yeah. these pl- these kind of storage areas called free ports. Yeah. So they don't have to pay taxes on it. So it accumulates in value. It's Yeah, it's just this idea of commerce. It's all about hiding your money, laundering your money through art. Yeah. Really depressing. And thing. it has a sign value, too, and that, you know, they can say, well, I own yeah. this. It, they don't appreciate it. They right, just, right. just own the most expensive one. Yeah. If this news makes you want to buy a non-fungible token, may I recommend a donation to KUCI instead, please? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio, KUCI 88.9 FM. Nice mother. Very nice. You know what I like about that pitch that you just made? Uh-huh. The heartfelt music that's under it. Yeah, and Mahler does a great job. And Mahler always really brings it home, uh-huh. doesn't he, at the end? I, yeah. I, I love the way he... Yeah. Do you like the feel of leather? No. Not at all? No. I like the feel of leather. You like a leather couch? Is that... Or... No, not a couch. Yeah, that's where I'm, that's but, where but, I'm coming from. I don't but know. if I'm sitting in the car, sometimes I like the feel oh, of it. okay. All right. You know, and I, but I don't like the idea that it was a living creature and yeah. that we've skinned it. He's skinned it. Yeah, but but the feel of it. Yeah. A I leather jacket? I love a baseball mitt. Yeah, yeah there leather. you yeah, go. So, I mean, I yeah, I do like that. Yeah. Wow. It's not like pounding your it's fist. A, it's a great feeling. Yeah. I think a lot of gloves now are sort of a composite, some sort of plastic and some, you know, some material that feels like it might be leather. Yeah. But in the old days, you got leather gloves, and those That's were right. pretty, pretty awesome. They stuff. still had the cow attached to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> From Scientific American. The biotechnology industry is expanding into the fashion industry from with investors backing leather substitutes made from mushrooms, animal cells, or recombinant collagen produced in yeast. Yeah. The company Mycoworks is financing a full-scale production plant in South Carolina to make a leather alternative from the mushroom Ganoderma lucidum mycelium. Okay. Wow. This follows... Nicely done. (laughs) Thank you. This follows last year's funding by Vitro Labs, which grows hide from animal cell cultures. So no animals were were harmed during the creation of this faux leather. Mm -hmm. Leather production requires, of course, raising and slaughtering animals, which has a high environmental footprint, and the tanning process often uses toxic chemicals like chromium. So it's not... Not a good process to get to the leather. Biotech leather doesn't need to be finished in the same way, so fewer chemicals are used. The problem is matching the quality and texture of real animal leather, according to Matt Scullin, CEO of Mycoworks, who's making the the uh, faux leather. Animal leather is the original performance material. It is something that has a very rare combination of hand feel, warmth, breathability, aesthetic, and durability. And when you combine all these properties, you create this emotional response that leather gives us. It's very powerful and it's a very 
and it's very valuable. So the bar is very high for them to try and duplicate with, say, mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great scene in a uh, Albert Brooks film. I believe it was real life. This first film where he's going to buy a Mercedes, or it might have been Modern Modern Love, and he's buying trying. He's the salesman is telling him, he he says, "I want leather interior," uh-huh. and the salesman keeps saying, "It's Mercedes leather." Yeah, yeah. It's not that really right. It's it's, sounds... it's 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 no it's not really leather. It's some version of it you know what i mean it's not well, i think it's a high class leather is it okay yeah. well, maybe, maybe i'm wrong no okay but anyway he, they keep saying it's mercedes leather yeah and he's really happy about that yeah so yeah i think it's kind of like it's a thicker leather okay mercedes leather yeah maybe i'm wrong well you had you many years ago you had a very nice older mercedes oh i had several yeah but the one i remember was the gold one Gold. They didn't have a, gold. a, yellow, a yellow yellowish, one. yellowish. I had sorry. the Berlin taxi cab. Yeah, the Berlin taxi cab. I had yeah. a couple of those. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fair I would enough. get the old diesel ones. Yeah, that's what it was. I and I'd was... pick them up for a low price. Yeah. yeah. And they usually have a quarter of a million miles on them when I got them. <laughs> right. And then I'd put on another quarter of a million miles, <laughs> and sell them with hardly any loss. Yeah. Yeah. Just because they were a nicely designed car yeah. that lasted. What did Don't, you call what the what is it called a taxi? What, what what's oh that? Berlin taxi Berlin cab? taxi cab. They were the yellow one was what yeah. they used in Berlin for yeah. taxi cabs. Yeah. The one I had for a while, a little a stick shift. Yeah. Problem is, what... is you couldn't get up hills because yeah. the diesel engine was so weak. Mm-hmm. You could, but you felt like you wouldn't. Be, sometimes you'd go up a steep enough hill, you'd feel like you'd start sliding backward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which wouldn't have been good. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. It had a what it was kind of a, a tan interior. What was that? Really nice interior. With Mercedes leather. Oh yeah, yeah. The tan mm-hmm. with yeah, the yellow. Yeah. 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 Very nice car. Yeah. You're listening. The KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org. On Facebook at Facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9. On our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. I think that covers it. Yeah. yeah. Do you like uh, Tolkien? I, I never really read him. I'm sorry, that's heresy to say out loud, but I never read him. I was never interested enough, really. And then when, and then when Led Zeppelin came along, yeah. I really didn't want to ever read him after that. What what with Led Zeppelin two? Uh four. Well yeah. Two but also four. Were they, that oh. was the stairway to heaven and uh, that was Is that what, four? Yeah, that's four. What was two? That Wait. was the the, the Yeah, uh, that's four. Yeah. There was there was the Zeppelin itself. Yeah, there was flaming. That was number flaming one. Zeppelin. Yeah. And then Zeppelin two was kind of a collage sort of thing with a well, I think there was a like an army officer in the kind of in the on the cover. Three was. I don't remember the army officer. Well, there's some kind of weird collage. Anyway, really? Yeah, but I never. No, let's get back to the original question. Let's go with. I never read <laughs> Tolkien. Never really had much interest in it. Yeah. And um, I, if I was forced to read it, I would probably. I would probably huh. st- self-cut. I would start cutting myself if I had to read it. Yeah. 
know, he created his own language, and I get it was very creative. I just didn't really care about it. Yeah, yeah, I've had trouble with fantasy. Yeah. Because life itself seems fantastical yeah, to me. Yeah. So having to make up little creatures to do the work of you, say, for example, yeah, yeah. I think you're much stranger than any Thank Tolkien you. character. Thank you. No, yeah. and the other thing is there was a kind of hippie that... A hippie vibe that you didn't no, like? A, no, no, there were, there were hippies and there were subsets of hippies. Yeah. And the subsets of hippies that like Tolkien, yeah. I didn't really care for. Yeah. You like the yippie hippie? Yeah. I like the political hippies. The yippie. Yippies, yeah. Yeah, yeah there you go. From Sky and Telescope magazine. Yeah. A team of researchers announced that with observations from the Hubble Space Telescope, they have discovered the most distant single star ever before seen. Yep. Yeah. They have. Yeah. That's right, Mother. Woof. Enough of you. I yeah. cut him off. I yeah. got his mic. <laughs> so tired of listening to that dog. Always has comments. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe he was looking at. Maybe he was looking. What is it? What is it, Mahler? Yeah. He's sorry for all the barking. <laughs> but he just is excited about stars. Yeah. 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 This is pretty amazing. Too. Pretty amazing yeah. discovery. Yeah. Really. Uh, the report describes this star as 50 to 100 times more massive than our sun. 100 times more massive than our sun and roughly 1 million times brighter. So, wow. You know, Unfortunately, it wasn't our son when Trump stared at the sky. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? With its starlight having traveled 12.9 billion years to reach this telescope. Wow. So it was a long ways away, too. <laughs> well, if it's the first known star. Yeah. Yeah. That would seem... That's where they should send Coons's artwork. <laughs> the lead author on the report, Brian Welsh, had the honor of giving the star a name, Arendelle. It's an old English word meaning morning star. Okay. Moreover, Arendelle is the name of a character in J.R.R. Tolkien's, what's with the two R's I too, don't you know? know? I, I J.R.R. Tolkien's The Silmarillion, which also inspired the name of Arendelle for yeah. the star. Yeah. This is one of the major discoveries of the Hubble Space Telescope in its 32 years of observation found in the constellation Cetus near the star Mira. Arendelle's light was emitted about 900 million years after the universe began its expansion. The Big Bang. Big Bang. So it's 900 years after the Big Bang. Wow. If that estimate uh, distance holds up to further scrutiny, the starlight would have been emitted nearly 4 billion years further back in the universe's history than that of the most distant individual star previously seen. Wow. So this is kind of an advancement here for looking deeper into the universe. And my guess yeah. is they're looking at a ghost star. Oh, really? Because I does it really exist anymore? Well, four million billion years further back in the universe's history than the other one we've seen. Right. I don't think so. Maybe it's gone. Right. By the way, I have another bone to pick. Uh oh. Okay. And that is, first of all, the other subset with the subset I was describing of hippies. Of hippies. Hippie they, subsets. The hippie subset. Uh -huh. th that led to the Renaissance Fair and all that nonsense. 
Well, that Renaissance Fair was kind of fun. Initially, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first time I went. Oh yeah, when it became like yeah, the, uh, like the, the, you know, it looks like yeah, it's it's uh, the Woodstock LARP assembly. Yeah, the Woodstock for weirdos. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but there's another guy that irritates me. I like the belly dancers. Oh, I like the kissing booth. I remember the first the time. Kissing I, booth. Yeah, the very first Renaissance Fair I went to. There it was, was a kissing booth. There was a kissing booth. I had never been. I was young enough for this. <laughs> Did this they made have an, kissing booths? They, in, that made an impression on me. Time? It made an impression on me, and I got yeah. a I got a good one. Um, but but anyway, there's another irritating soul that is in the same vein as Tolkien. Uh huh. It's the Game of Thrones author, and okay. he's got two R's in his name too. Really? J R R Martin. Oh, well, for God's yeah, sake! Yeah, for God's sake! Get a life. Speaking of getting alive, Marla. Yeah. Uh, by the way, your, by the way, by the way Tawny, uh, Tawny Tenuvial, if you're listening, I love you. So I, don't take any of that personally. Yeah, she was a DJ here at yeah. KCI many years ago. Yeah. And and uh, I think Tenuvial is actually a uh, J.R.R. Tolkien name. <laughs> you can't believe it. R.R. <laughs> Why is this guy talking like a pirate <laughs> anyway? But she had a great show. She had a great what, what show. Would Arwen and she was a do? great spirit, wasn't, wonderful wasn't, person. Wasn't Arwen another Tolkien? Yeah, what would, what would Arwen do was yeah. the name of her program. She was fantastic. I love her. So don't take it personally. <laughs> Sorry, Tony. Sorry. Yeah. But you, you would have to bring that up. Yeah. Well, there you go. Are you disappointed that Pluto is not a planet? Yeah, okay, it's sort of a nostalgic thing. If, yeah. the, if the science bears out it isn't, I'm okay with it, but it feels like I got, got something got taken from me a yeah. little bit, yeah. You know. it's, it's like, you know, say, it, it, sad Mahler, you know, because <laughs> yeah. of Pluto. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And me too. I felt a little bit like yeah. Pluto, the planet, was like Pluto the dog <laughs> in some ways. You know, yeah. he, was, he was way out there. Yeah. He wasn't a main character. But he had a charm to him. It was a charm, and it was the one the the planet was furthest away from this from the Earth. Yeah, and it was it was kind of a wobbler in terms of defining whether or not it was a planet. Right? Yeah. It seemed like there was some you could make the argument it, it was. was a planet. Yeah, give it to it. Yeah, give what us is this? this? Yeah, oh, come on. From live science, yeah, an analysis of images of Pluto made by NASA's New Horizons spacecraft found recent ice volcano. Well, there you activity. go. Activity. Ice volcano. That alone should qualify as planet dumb, right I'm there. Heading, if you got I'm an ice volcano, put me on a Voyager. I'm on, I'm, I'm on I'm on my way. <laughs> In July 2015, mm-hmm. NASA's New Horizons spacecraft. That's seven years ago. Mm-hmm. They gave its the world its first close up of Pluto. The spacecraft found that the dwarf planet, far from being a featureless and frigid orb was a world with epic impact craters, methane ice, and nitrogen snow. Wow. Yeah, right there, planet. Nitrogen snow. Two of its mountains were suspected of being volcanoes, but instead of spewing molten rock, they would be built of and capable of erupting ice. That's pretty hard to do. In a process known as cryovolcanism. Wow. Yeah. Now, after years of close examination of data, or data from New Horizons. You say data or data? Data. Okay. Scientists think they have spotted evidence of recently erupted ice lava, a sign that Pluto is home to cryovolcanoes that were active in the immediate geologic past. If these ice lava deposits are young, 
then the underworld just below this spot on Pluto's icy shell was at least to some degree hot and liquid very recently. And such a finding gives credence to the hypothesis that present-day Pluto is an ocean world. Yeah, you heard me right. Water on Pluto. Wow. An icy lava eruption has never been witnessed. Okay. So we don't know what it's like. Right. But seeing one on a world like Pluto would be nothing short of surreal. The icy lava may slowly extrude from a dome's vent or fissure as a gelid, mucilaginous mass. <laughs> I think Mahler do something like that. <laughs> try something, cleaning. Try cleaning it up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, something comparable to <clears throat> silly putty. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But made of one or multiple frozen chemical compounds. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. And largely retain its chunky shape in a low gravity, exceedingly cold environment. Exceedingly cold. That's the that's the important part here. Yeah. Pluto may sound okay to you. Yeah. But it's cold. Okay? Now you don't want to go there just to get one of these gelatinous masses. No. It's not gonna work out very well for you. That's right, Mother. Don't try it. Speaking of gelatinous masses, yeah, there you go. There you go. Let's make Pluto a planet. <laughs> I say. Bring back Pluto. Yeah. From the National Aeronautics and Space Administration Earth Observatory. That's a little website they have there. For the first time since satellites began observing Antarctica nearly half a century ago, an ice shelf has collapsed on the east part of the continent. Yeah. The collapse of the 450-square-mile Conger ice shelf in a part of the continent called Wilkes Land occurred in mid-March. It was first spotted by scientists with the Australian Bureau of Meteorology and appeared in satellite images taken on March 17th. According to the National Ice Center, the largest fragment on the uh, Conger shelf after the collapse was an iceberg named C-38. That was about 200 square miles in size. These are big chunks that are floating around there now. Now, I don't know, <clears throat> but I there was a, a, a shelf that was in danger of collapsing yeah. that was considered what they called the doomsday yeah. iceberg, yeah. right? If it, if it were to break off, yeah. it, would, it was the one that they most feared would cause the oceans to rise. Uh -huh. I don't know if... I don't think that's... No, that, it's not the conger. No, but, okay. But it's a big one. It's a huge one. Yeah. Loss of a shelf can f allow faster movement of glaciers behind it, which can lead to more rapid ice sheet loss and greater sea level rise. Mm -hmm. So you got that, Balboa Island? Yeah. Yeah. If you're a real estate agent and you're selling homes to people on the peninsula or on the island. Younger couples especially. You should have your license revoked and there should be a consideration of going to jail for what you are doing because you're selling them something that is is going to be compromised within the next 20 years. Or underwater. Or underwater. Well, yeah, that's a good way, better way to put it. Yeah. No, I'm just, you know, compromised. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're already compromised in a lot of ways. Right, They're building restraining walls, retaining walls. Yeah. And restraining walls. Yeah, interesting. To the, keep me out. <laughs> the king tides are already, they've had an impact even when I lived down on the peninsula. Yeah. It was a problem when the king tides would roll in. Yeah. Now it's becoming more and more a fact of life that it's impacting those homes. Yeah. And it's not just that they'll completely go underwater. It's that when that the peninsula is, well, I remember when the water would be from 
one side to the other, mm -hmm. from the ocean to the bay. Yeah. And it just ruins everything, you know? Mm -hmm. It's salt water. Yeah. You can't really park a car there. You can, but after you couldn't permanently do it. Right. The other thing about the rising sea levels that I don't hear a whole lot of discussion about, and that is as it intrudes into the land, it, it essentially um, pollutes the freshwater supplies and it's that will be a huge problem moving forward as the salt, the acritic balance in water yeah. will make it unusable. You won't be able to use it on crops. Humans will not be able to use it, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. it's not just the intrusion of seawater into our land, but it's the damage it does in the process, and that's a big part of it. From the journal Ecology and Evolution, the voracious appetite of the invasive Burmese python is causing Florida's mammal and bird population to plummet. The python's roaming around and it's eating stuff. God. I wonder if it would eat Mahler. <laughs> Mahler, is Mahler worried about it? Or I is don't he know, concerned? Mahler, <laughs> yeah, apparently so. Wow. Well, stay away from Burma. Or Florida. Or Florida. Sorry. With little natural competition to control the big snake's numbers, <laughs> the situation looks desperate. In other words, nothing's keeping this under control. They're just procreating these big pythons down there. Nobody's chewing any of them up. They're not racing around in fast cars getting into accidents. Yeah. They're not, uh, you know, they, I guess they don't need to worry about uh, uh, the coronavirus. Huh. No. Don't you know that Florida's the land of the free? They get to do anything they want down there. Including the pythons. Well, the pythons do whatever the hell they want. But new observations suggest that the bobcat, a wildcat native to Florida, might be able to help keep the pythons away. A team of ecologists collected evidence recently of a bobcat devouring python eggs in the big Cypress National Preserve there. Yeah. National Preserve. Okay. The cat liked the taste of the eggy wags because it came back for three more snacks in one night. I guess the the big snake wasn't around. They let the eggs lay around for a bit. On the fourth trip, though, the cat, weighing in about 20 pounds, was clearly aware that the 115-pound python posed a serious threat and rather than trying to eat the eggs, padded around the net, nest at a safe distance for a few minutes before leaving. Yeah. That would be quite a tussle, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. By the way, reptile eggs are already a part of the Florida bobcat diet. Okay. So bobcats are known to eat little sea turtle eggs, and these may have similarities to python eggs. Well, they're eggs. That's a similarity. Mm -hmm. Apparently, the bobcat felt the python eggs were worth fighting for because it returned in the morning and aggravated the python enough to prompt an attack. Mm -hmm. And there's photos of this kind of uh, hassle, this kerfluffle <laughs> going on between a python and the bobcat. Yeah, yeah. Precisely how the duel ended is unclear, but when the researchers arrived that evening to collect the camera, they found the snake sitting on a badly damaged nest with 42 eggs that had been destroyed and 22 that were damaged. That's a lot of eggs. That is a lot of eggs. Yeah. Well... It where is human intervention on all of this? Are are they going to ever try to control the? Maybe we should go get the eggs. Yeah. You and I. Yeah, eggs yeah. are eggs are us. 
Eggs are us? Yeah. Python eggs are us. Python eggs are us. I see something on the west side. I can see it now. Well, we can. Trendy. Yeah. yeah. And we start uh, yeah. whipping them into omelets. And, omelets. Uh, yeah. Um, quiche. Yeah. I don't know what else quiche. you do. What else you do? <laughs> what is that called? The uh, <laughs> Python eggs Benedict? <laughs> something. Yeah. yeah, I don't know where the, you know. Maybe. You're looking for something there, Mike? Yeah, I saw a story earlier, and if I say it, you're going to say, well, you don't say it if you don't know where it, what it is. Yeah. It was a story about a reptile that shed its legs. Yeah. Did you see this by any chance? I don't know. Okay. It okay. shed its legs. They actually saw it for the first time actually happening, and it became kind of a snake. It like, jettisoned them? It jettisoned Or it's like a like molting a mol- thing. Like a molting thing. Oh, it's more of a molting thing? Yeah, yeah. It's not like a distraction, yeah, it's, it which was... would be a bad distraction. You know, you, <laughs> yeah. you think it's a good idea, and then, you, then you're just sitting there with no legs. Yeah, yeah that would not be yeah. strategically a good idea. But uh, yeah, yeah. Don't try it, Mother. Yeah, don't shed your legs. From reasons to be cheerful. In Austria, the government is backing the right to repair. They're going a full, full, uh, well, not full, but they're really pushing hard. I wish we could do that that here in this country. The city of Vienna started the uh, Reparaturbahn. That's what they call it. Of course they did. As a pilot in 2020 as a way to promote repair and support businesses. Through the policy, which has since concluded... 50% 50% of repair costs were subsidized by the city of Vienna, capped at 100 euros. Anything repairable from clothing and electronics to bicycles and furniture was covered. Okay. Over 35,000 items were, were repaired, saving 850 tons of CO2 emissions. Okay. Now a national repair bond. Mm-hmm. We need our own repair bond here. Yes. This national one will kick off this month, April, and will adopt the same approach focusing on e-waste, which is the fastest growing waste stream in the developed world. 83,000 tons of it land in Australian landfills every year. Yeah. Of which only around 17% is recycled. The program will subsidize 50% of repair costs for electronic and electrical equipment capped at 200 euro per repair. Yeah. That's pretty good. You got something that breaks down. You don't need to pay for the whole right. caboodle there. There's no godly reason why we shouldn't be able to repair our stuff. Yeah. With competent people coming in, making money, good jobs to fix our stuff instead of just throwing it into a... Yeah, so Great. many people, like a screw comes loose on something. Right. And it's in such a place, and it's such a screw that you can't even find a replacement right. for it. Right. And you end up throwing the whole And this is by manufacturer edict. Away. This was something that was imposed upon us. Yeah. This was something that they figured out, hey, if we, if we don't allow them to repair this stuff, they have to buy new stuff. Yeah. And this is just evil. Apple's finally coming around on this, but for years they, they were horrible. They're the worst at yeah. the beginning. I don't know. Hopefully they are getting better. The repair plan is a great way to compensate for the failure of the market. A glut of cheap, low-quality products combined with the high cost of repair due to expensive spare parts and labor has skewed people's perception about product life. Yeah. And that's true. Yeah. That's right. I'm always looking for some way to repair something that fell apart. And it infuriates me when it's something so simple and yet there's no way I can repair what it is. And I don't know if this is exactly the same thing, but it feels like it is. 
and that is the obsolescence of an operating system on a computer. And that suddenly becomes a reason yeah. to get rid of it. And, and I don't know if there there may be reasons in the chip that makes it, makes it unfeasible. Well, a lot of it is security, and it's, it's a chip, and yeah. the speed and everything else. Yeah. I mean, well, you'd, you'd have to put a limit on the speed of everything mm -hmm. and what you're downloading and right. what you're able to right. do on the computer. So you'd have to uh, limit the uh, capacity and the uh, uh, the, how complicated the computer can work, yeah. which doesn't seem... I understand that to some degree. Right, right. Although, again, Apple, it seems like they're upgrading their whole system now. If you've upgraded to the latest, what is it, Monterey? Is that yeah. what it is? Right. I forget. I, I might be wrong, but I think it's Monterey. It came after Big Sur, mm -hmm. their system. If you upgrade, which I did, I've already had three others, and that's within three weeks yeah yeah i have a computer uh, my laptop was 2014 i yeah. fear the next upgrade to my operating system is going to render much of that so oh yeah yeah so yeah the problem i think too is with that is a lot of the systems they don't let you go back mm. and so if you upgrade too much and the computer is too slow you don't even have the option mm. I, I my little uh laptop my little uh ipod here is probably 10 years old so it was one of the first yeah. i don't even plug it in anymore to any i don't make a backup of uh, or anything same here yeah yeah this is a because I, I have one older computer that i can do it with and yeah. i have but yeah. i have the only backup i've used on this for years and yeah. i just use it as a standalone yeah. it's not connected that's the same with this yeah iPad as well. Can listen to music on it. That's what I do. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's a good good use of those things. A system change is needed in the long term, including a right to repair on all products that offers easy and affordable access to spare parts and includes environmental tax reform. These changes could soon pave the way toward a world where repair, not replacement, is the first choice. That's right. Got anything you'd like to say before I wrap this up? No, you can wrap it all. You want to talk about mm. anything like, you know, wars or politicians? I, yeah, I do want to mention something. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. I, I, you, you, Over the years, I've told, told you about some friends of mine from many years ago, very conservative, very kind of Trumpian and, and such. Uh -huh. Happened. She happened to call me last night. We were talking about stuff. Are they and, high school friends? Yeah, high school friends. Yeah. So this goes way back. And, you know, our relationship has always been a bit uh, tenuous over, when, especially when it comes to politics, and yeah. I try to stay away from it. Because you're a nut. Yeah, I am. And they are. Too. And they, they, yeah, the two of us together, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's nutty. If, if, say, she starts talking about it, do you ever want to kill her? No. How I, about I, punch I, her? No, I just, it, it frustrated. Slap her? Frustrated. <laughs> Slapping, by the way, slapping in some circles is considered a compliment. Uh-huh. That song really slaps. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, but anyway, last night, I she called me, we had a conversation, and we got on the subject of the Ukraine and the invasion of Russia. Now, you want me to tell you about Ukraine? Why we don't call it the Ukraine okay. is because it offends Ukrainians because it's like saying the the High Plains. The, it's not 
recognizes a country. You don't say the Cuba. You yeah. don't say the yeah. England. Yeah. I, I you, but you do say, you know, the region, you know, yeah, yeah. the I San mean, Fernando I miss, Valley. I, yeah. So I I'm, not, I'm not picking on you, yeah, but okay. I just want to make clear it's, it's not some quirk of the language. Right, right. It's actually an insult because you're you're making them without their independence by saying the. You're supporting the Russian perspective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In fact, Russia is the one that started the little bit about adding the, in their language, it, I forget exactly what two words they used before Ukraine, yeah. that signifies that they are it's not It's really not a country, yeah. 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 Well, and I don't even know, I I don't know if I've ever said the Ukraine before. I don't know why it popped yeah. into my head then. Go but, ahead, I'm sorry. No, but, but so... So uh, she said, why are we helping, this is what she said to me last night, why are we helping Ukraine when we can't even protect our own borders? Yeah. Now this is something, I'm sorry to say this out loud, something straight out of QAnon, right? I mean, this is yeah, yeah. the idea that, and she said, she went on to tell me. Well, as soon as tanks start coming up from Mexico, I think we might that's stop what I, them. Said. <laughs> I said, I said, I cannot think of a, a period in American history with the exception of the War of 1812 when the United States borders were not protected pretty effectively by yeah. the military. So I don't know what you're talking about, but but um, and the but and the other thing she said was, you know, Zelensky is he he murdered his opponent in order to become president. of. No, that's Putin. No, I know. But this is this. this, The the disturbing part of it was this is straight out of Russian propaganda. Nothing is true. Everything is possible. Literally. Yeah. Like she said, why are we supporting him? He he killed his opponent mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and that that and was he didn't he didn't that, no he did yeah, not yeah. that is so deeply flawed and deeply troubling well, to I, say out loud sympathy so, goes out to you yeah so i and I tried, to her i danced around that for about five minutes and we dropped it but i i just yeah why yeah, yeah. so that was uh, so there you go that's i had to get that off my chest okay well, good. I'm glad you did. Yeah. and finally from newsweek on november 28 2019 harold lee of arkansas died Harold Lee. Yeah, Harold Lee. You don't know about this? No. Uh, I'm just kidding. I just, I just thought I'd end it right there, so you would, you would, yeah, you know, draw in. Was he a guitar player? Harold Lee of Arkansas died in 2019. There on November 28th, two weeks later, the Roller McNutt Funeral Home, <laughs> which is not a place I would go to just based on the name alone, but maybe I would. The Roller McNutt Funeral Home notified Lee's family that they had accidentally cremated Harold. The funeral home director apologized for the mistake, waived the funeral expenses, and returned a $5,000 fee that the family had paid for burial insurance. Okay. But that wasn't enough for the Lee's. Now Harold Lee's family is suing the Roller McNutt Funeral Home for preventing Harold from being raptured. Because, as we all know, in the rapture, you and I are going to hell, Mike. Yes. And Harold Lee and all the other rapture Christians will ascend to heaven. Amen, brother. According to the lawsuit, the Roller McNutt Funeral Home's actions caused Lee's family extreme mental and emotional distress, as opposed to the extreme mental and emotional distress of being told you're going to hell. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.